You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 314. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, This is episode 314 today. Uh, Getting into late February here, as I'm sure you might have noticed, uh, this show has taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last, uh, over the first couple months of 2024. Uh, but have no worries, I am here now. Uh, we have now been doing this show for six years continuously, and you know, I think it was a good time to sort of take a step back and uh, remember what it was like uh, not to have a show to do every week um, and to sort of rethink, uh, you know, what we're going to do with this show. And now that I've stepped away from it, I I definitely have some ideas. I wanted to come back to you today with, uh, you know, some news updates because so much is happening in the world of AI and there's so much to talk about. Um, I think one of the things that I want to do actually over the next year is, you know, sometimes I have authors on, but I realize that I read a lot of books. I read a lot of nonfiction books. And sometimes, uh, similar to the, what we did with The Fourth Turning recently, it would be nice to have Aaron or someone on to just talk about what we've learned uh, and how we could apply it to current events. You know, uh, I'm currently reading a, a book by Cal Newport called uh, Digital Minimalism. I definitely want to share that. I think that would be useful to you guys. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, as for me, I have... Uh, I have lots of projects going on in the background. I have, of course, another project with Dennis Crowley, who's been on the show, one of my first guests on the show, Episode 7, uh, Foursquare founder. We're now working on a, a new kind of Foursquare-like project called uh, called Bebot, which will be out soon. It is another uh, augmented reality uh, city guide. Um, it's not quite available to the public yet. It's only available to select people who, um, who we can give access to, uh, but... Stay tuned for that, or email me at localmaxradio at gmail.com if you want more uh, more information. Uh, maybe I can get a certain number of people uh, access if you if you have an iPhone. Uh, one of the other exciting things that I have going on in my life, and this is just kind of short term, but uh, this semester I am teaching, or more specifically TAing data structures at NYU. My, my class is on Friday, uh, so I'm teaching some undergrads. I'm having a lot of fun with it so far. Here's a shout out to uh, my undergrads. If you happen to be listening to the show, I don't know how many of you are listening, uh, but I hope that the classroom work is going well. You know what I realized about this job? So I'm teaching basic computer science. I have no idea if I'm teaching it on the appropriate level, like whether I'm way too difficult or way too easy. Uh, hopefully, this podcast has given me a, a, little bit of, um, a little bit of experience in terms of explaining things to the average person. So maybe that, maybe that helps, uh, hopefully, uh, to some degree. I had the same job, by the way, uh, 15 years ago uh, when I was, at, when I was a, a grad student at NYU. But, but now, you know, teaching, these, uh, t- teaching this class uh, uh, so many years later, um, is, is a very different experience. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll apply to be a part-time adjunct or I have applied to be a part-time, a part-time adjunct. Uh, maybe, hopefully, I'll be able to do that uh, next semester. Okay, so let's talk about some of the updates from in, in the world of AI because, uh, you know, there's, there's a huge kind of table setting that I need to do here just to, to say what's, what's happening. Uh, things are moving so fast. 
Uh, first of all, pretty simply, uh, OpenAI over the last couple of weeks launched Sora. This already feels like it was months ago because so much has happened. Uh, but this is uh, OpenAI's uh, kind of next evolution of their their GPT model. So like Sora takes prompts and creates videos. Uh, you know, first they've done text and essays, then they've done images. It's kind of natural to do videos next. Um, what people are are kind of impressed by is these you know 15 second videos. How um, how real they look. How how incredible they look. Um, and they even look real. You know, if you are trying to show something impossible is happening, like, oh, a dog on a skateboard. Well, maybe a dog could be on a skateboard, but, but maybe not. Or, you know, uh, a, a, a train, like, you know, there was, there was one that I saw where there was a leaf and there was a, um, there was a, there was a, a vein on the leaf. They called veins, they're probably called something else. Uh, but anyway, then they had an actual train <laughs> driving on that vein. So, uh, but, so it, it looks very real and, and this is kind of goes, hand in hand with what I've been saying uh, a lot to the next generation, which is uh, uh, my generation, and this was you know, 10, 15 years ago um, when I was in grad school coming up, you know, and also undergrad 20 years ago, it was like, well, the internet kind of democratizes information, tells us, hey, you know, we have the power to write and create and put stuff out there and get it in front of an audience, whoever wants to, whoever wants to listen, in the case of the podcast, whoever wants to see it, whoever wants to download it, um, in a way that, you know, our uh, predecessors just did not have. So what do you want to do with that power? Well, for me, I started a podcast, among other things. Um, now you have the power to create wor entire worlds from your imagination. That's the new world that we're living in. And Sora is just a piece of that. And so, um, I think that particularly if you're creative-minded, you should start thinking about this more carefully and what you're going to do with it. I, I, I think that people can come up with way better ideas than, than I can, for example. So very impressive results so far, and you could see those examples on, on X and other platforms. A little bit of a, um, a, little bit of a, a caveat from Jan LeCun, director of AI at, at Facebook, who was also my professor at NYU. I think he's, he's still also a researcher at NYU. He writes uh, of Sora, uh, let me clear a, um, and I quote from Twitter, uh, from X, let me clear a huge misunderstanding here. The generation of mostly realistic looking videos and prompts does not indicate that a system understands the physical world. Generation is very different from causal prediction from a world model. The space of plausible videos is very huge or very large, and a video generation system merely needs to produce one sample to succeed. The space of plausible continuations of a real video is much smaller, and uh, generating a representative chunk of those is a much harder task, particularly when conditioned on an action. Furthermore, generating those continuations would not only be would be not only expensive but totally pointless. It's much more desirable to generate abstract representations of those continuations that eliminate details in the scene that are irrelevant to any action we might want to take. That's the whole point behind GEPA, GEPA, Joint Embedding Predictive Architecture, which is not generative and makes predictions in representation space. Um, I'm going to kind of gloss over this a little bit because I don't know if I want to. Uh, well, I could talk a little bit about this, and then he talks about his work a little bit, um, and then he says, when using the learned representation as inputs to a supervised head trained on downstream tasks without fine-tuning the backbone, joint embedding beats 
generative. Okay, so he's talking about something very interesting here. He's talking about the difference between a system that actually creates a representation of the physical world and the system that he's saying Sora does, and no doubt that he's correct here, uh, which is to uh, generate a video that looks good, but that doesn't necessarily contain a physics engine, because a lot of people were saying, well, it learned physics. Um, I don't think it specifically learned physics. I think it learned kind of rules of thumb that uh, can be used to uh, generate in images and higher and higher level of, of abstraction. That means that there's something of physics in there. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's some kind of rules of thumb about how the world works, but it doesn't, it doesn't store that uh, um, explicitly. And I think it would be nice to store that explicitly because then you can get, you know, rather than getting kind of realistic looking video, uh, you'll get actually what, what uh, Jan LeCun is calling uh, uh, predictive video, which is actually, hey, I see a video and this is what's going to happen next. Or is this physically possible or not? Or what can, under what conditions are these physically possible? Um, to answer those questions, that's a whole other set of um, that's a whole other set of applications. I think those applications are more, you know, applications in uh, construction or applications in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 let's say uh, criminal investigations or or war, for example. But I think that what Sora has created here is more of an, you know, artistic representation, sort of. Uh, hey, I want to generate a, a video of the world that uh, expresses this idea. Help me express this idea. And so that, and I think Jan McCune would agree, very, very valuable in and of itself. Generating a physics engine would also be uh, very valuable, which I have no doubt that AI can do sometime in the future. I mean, heck, he even says that he's working on it. All right. Now, on the other side of big tech, we turn, of course, to Google. Uh, Google has their AI system called Gemini. They took a system called Bard. They renamed it Gemini, which is really interesting because Gemini is also the Bitcoin uh, company from the Winklevoss twins. So I don't know why all of these, there's sort of a clash in our namespace here. Um, so <laughs> one good thing that uh, Google is doing with Gemini uh, and then and then we're going to talk about some problems that they've been having. Uh, so one good thing uh, about Google Gemini, uh, this is from uh, this is from InfoQ, I believe. In a discussion on Hacker News, several users wondered about the reason behind changing Bard's name. One wrote, "I suspect they're just trying to start over. Bard kind of got pegged as Google's dumb, not as good, late to the party clone of ChatGPT. It got teased a lot." I'm not sure Gemini is much different, but I guess the name change gives them a bit of a reset. Other Reddit users expressed disappointment with the Gemini mobile experience. One said, not a fan. I switched back to regular assistant. Gemini won't answer questions unless you unlock your phone. It often requires you to hit the send button after asking your question, and it takes forever to get simple answers. I know for me personally, if ChatGPT isn't working for me, then I go to Google. And then Google has uh, Gemini or whatever it is at the top answering the question. But sometimes I feel like uh, if the uh, GPT models aren't answering the question, if the AI isn't answering the question, I just want to go to good old-fashioned search um, to get an actual human written thing, which, you know, search is AI. Search was AI for many years. Uh, so that's why kind of Gemini seems to add less value. Um, however, uh, 
still very impressive if they came out with Gemini. Uh, you know, if their timeline was pushed back by a few months, it would be like, wow, incredible. But that almost kind of reminds me of when, you know, uh, the Android tablets came out with Google. And, you know, if they had come out a year before they had, it would have been like, oh, my God, incredible. But because they came out after the iPad, it was like, well, eh, okay. You know, all right. So several Hacker News users commented positively on Gemini's performance, calling it as good as or even better than GPT-4. Similarly, in a thread on Reddit, one user reported Gemini was better than GPT-4, specifically for copywriting, blogs, emails, etc. However, that user noted that GPT-4 was better for data analysis. All right. Now, here is what Google is telling us that even if it doesn't really work right now, uh, it's a big deal. And that is, uh, it's all about the context window, uh, taking this from uh, CCN News uh, Technology, Google's latest Gemini 1.5 foundational model can handle up to a million tokens. The longer context window marks a significant leap forward compared to previous solutions. With a higher token capacity, chatbots can handle much longer prompts. Uh, when Google announced last week the next generation of its Gemini foundational model, it boasted that Gemini 1.5 represented a breakthrough in co long context understanding, able to process inputs of up to a million tokens. The new model, which has been released for early testing, is miles ahead of its predecessor, which has a 32,000 token capacity. Gemini 1.5 even beats OpenAI's most advanced GPT model, which can run inputs of up to 128,000 tokens. Uh, so this is something important to understand. So when you're using an AI and you're having a conversation with AI, it has two things. It is the model itself, the weights of the model uh, that were learned and trained and tuned offline before you even got there. And then it has the entire conversation history. And so it takes your entire conversation history uh, with it. It sort of pours it into the AI model, uh, into, you know, into, into the... Uh, into the network of transistors, into the neural net. And then, um, you know, that, that updates state. Um, and then it gets to your question and then it answers it. So there's, there's two parts. There's the, uh, the pre-learning and then there's the usage on the, on the context, the, the conversation. And so long as you can increase that, error, that, that context for the conversation, there's so much more you could do with it. For example, uh, that context could be an entire book. I could feed an entire book into GPT and say, uh, give me a book report. It'd be interesting to uh, uh, be a, a grade student <laughs> these days. Uh, but, um, you know, the third grade book report, I could probably do right now, uh, although teacher would probably know that, that that's AI. Uh, but, um, you know, another thing it could do, now that there's video, is what if I put a book in and said, make the movie? I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, but if you said make some clips that might be in the movie, <laughs> you could probably get some, uh, some really interesting results there. So here's what Google has to say about their context window. Previously, Gemini could process up to 32,000 tokens at once, but 1.5 um, has a context window of up to 1 million tokens, the longest context window of any large-scale foundation model to date. In fact, We've even successfully tested up to 10 million tokens in our research, and the longer the context window, the more text, the more images, the more audio, the more code or video a model can take in and, and, and progress. And, and, pro, and pro, uh, the, Sorry, the longer the context window, the more text 
and images and audio and code and video a model can take in and process. Now, none of that is really in the news. That's impressive. And I'm sure uh, those context window uh, explosions are occurring both at Google uh, and at OpenAI. And it goes to show that there is no technical problem with uh, increasing the context window. So it seems like this thing is going to increase more and more and more until it gets to you know some maybe some limit eventually but but we're not we're not there yet we're at the we're at the thick part of the s curve and i don't know if the s curve is still so so for those of you who who don't know an s curve is whatever there's kind of a, a breakthrough when when we find some kind of technology that really works and then researchers and innovators and companies come in and they really try to expand it and commercialize it. So at first you see s slow growth, then you see growth accelerate. Then when the I and so that's you know it's kind of the, the it accelerates upwards. Uh, then when it kind of starts to saturate and things get less interesting, there's much there's less that you could do with that particular innovation. Then you start to see it decelerate. So it's almost like a logistic curve, and then then it kind of reaches its peak. The one that's decelerating right now is. Um, Mobile hardware, for example, you know, I have an iPhone, you get a new iPhone next year, it's pretty much the same as the one from last year. Uh, so we see a deceleration in uh, improvements. Uh, we are at the acceleration phase and a very fast acceleration phase, and, and it looks like um, this is going to go on for quite a while, years, before it starts to decelerate. Um, so that's good news. However, my God, Google, I mean, we've talked about this before, how nutty people are at Google. They really uh, screwed this up. Uh, so uh, from Google, uh, so Google is, so let, let's, let's talk about it this way. Um, Google is hitting the, so let's, uh, let, let me just read from the New York Post, shall we? Um, let me get my New York Post out here. Okay, so. Google is hitting the pause button on its Gemini after it got slammed for dishing out diverse images that are about as historically accurate as a $3 bill. Black Vikings, Lady Popes, and Native Americans chilling with the Founding Fathers. Seriously, um, my observation on this, my personal observation is, I have never, so yes, it's one thing to have a letter to the editor in the New York Post. Fine, you could have gotten that five years ago, 10 years ago, but no, uh, Google is actually, um, Google got so much backlash from how ridiculous its Im image generation was, how, you know, it almost refused to uh, paint pictures and, and, and people and, and professions as historically accurate in order to serve a, a social agenda, that uh, they actually removed it from the market temporarily say, we screwed up, we're, we're going to do better. That is how, how out of step they are. And I've never seen a tech company actually take the, that kind of criticism that I had just read from the New York Post seriously. They would often take it as, oh, that's just some you know right winger or some, some troglodyte, they like to say, uh, trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to, um, trying to not get with the program, or not trying to, just not getting with their, the program of, of kind of our ideology and our, our beliefs. And so we're just going to push forward uh, to what we see as right. But now they've really been kind of, I, I don't know, they, they, they 
have been kind of stopped. They've kind of said, wow, this is this has actually gotten pretty bad. And so when they admit it, you kind of realize, uh, wow, this is a problem. And if you look at some of the quotes from the people who developed this, you know, they're <laughs> every much on the, the DEI train. They're every much on the on the we have to counteract AI bias with our own bias in order to correct society. That's sort of what they believe their mission is, is we are going to um, align AI with a specific set of values so that we can tell the world how they need to think about things and what they need to believe. And if we need to lie, if we need to show something uh, untruthfully, so long as it kind of uh, changes people's minds to think like we think it's, it's, it's valuable, uh, that, that, that has finally actually backfired and they actually had to take notice. So very interesting. I, I would like to have someone else here to talk about this because just talking about this personally, some people are great at going on kind of monologues and rants. Maybe I could do that if I read more about, uh, if I kind of uh, did a more thorough research, but, but this is pretty incredible. All right, so finally, I'm going to end with an article in the New York Times. Uh, this is an article uh, by David Brooks, and it's entitled, Human Beings Are Soon Going to Be Eclipsed. Hey, okay, well, <laughs> let's, uh, let's start. I'm just going to uh, quote from it a little bit. He writes, I, I was startled this month to see the following headline in one of the AI newsletters I subscribe to. Douglas Hofstadter changes his mind on deep learning and AI risk. I followed the link to a podcast and heard Hofstadter say, it's a very traumatic experience when some of your most core beliefs about the world started, uh, start collapsing, and especially when you think that human beings are soon going to be eclipsed. Apparently, according to the article, in five years since 2018, ChatGPT and its peers have radically altered Hofstadter's thinking uh, Hofstadter continues, it just renders humanity a very small phenomenon compared to something else that is far more intelligent and will become incomprehensible to us, as incomprehensible to us as we are to cockroaches. Hofstadter has long argued that intelligence is the ability to look at complex situation, to look at a complex situation, find its essence. Putting your finger on the essence of the situation means ignoring vast amounts about the situation and summarizing the essence in a terse way. Um, humans mostly do this through analogy. Now, I don't know if you remember, but the first year of this podcast, episode 57, I talked about analogies and how humans uh, mostly think in terms of analogies and how most data science runs on analogies. And that's that's how we... We think about a lot of things, and I'm, I'm, I've brought it up many times uh, 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 past that. And so I'm glad to see that, that people are, are starting to think about that more and more. Um, getting back to the article, two years ago, Hofstadter said AI could not reliably perform this type of thinking, type of analogy thinking, but now it is performing this type of thinking all the time. And if AI can do all this kind of thinking, Hofstadter concludes, then it is developing consciousness. He has long argued that consciousness comes in degrees, and if there's thinking, there's consciousness. So this, by the way, this is where I kind of disagree, um, because consciousness is something different than running analogy models. Uh, analogy models are very common, going back to uh, K-nearest neighbor models, which is a very simple model in data science. That's an analogy model. Um, the scientific method uh, runs on analogy. 
It doesn't work if analogies don't work. So um, this issue, I think, is, um, is, is uh, this kind of computation, I don't think, leads to consciousness. But we might be kind of quibbling over what the meaning of consciousness is here. So, that, you know, uh, I'm not sure. But, but let's, let's go on and let's see. So um, Brooks continues. He says, I'd still argue the machine is not having anything like a human learning experience. It's playing on the surface with language. But the emotion-drenched process of learning from actual experience and the hard-earned accumulation of what we call wisdom are absent. In a piece for The New Yorker, uh, the computer science Jaron Lanier argued that AI is best thought of as an innovative form of social collaboration. It mashes up the linguistic expressions of human minds in ways that are structured enough to be useful, but it is not, Lanier argued, the invention of a new mind, interestingly. Uh, and Brooks kind of summarizes this pretty well, uh, summarizes his thinking pretty well. He writes, perhaps the kind of thinking done by a disembodied machine that mostly encounters the world through language is radically different from the kind of thinking done by embodied human mind containing in a person who moves about in the actual world, but it is an intelligence of some kind operating in some ways vastly faster and superior to our own. Besides, Hofstadter uh, points out, these artificial brains are not constrained by the factors that limit human brains, like having to fit inside a skull. And he emphasizes they are improving at an astounding rate while human intelligence is not. So, all of that is true, but I think there's kind of a grain of hope here that uh, humans are not going to be replaced. Now, first of all, uh, a couple of uh, episodes uh, that we would like to um, that we would like to go back for go back to um, because uh, episode 134 in particular, uh, we talked about understanding understanding. Um, this was actually the episode back in 2020 when I was announcing the. Um, the coming of GPT-3. Uh, ChatGPT wasn't even out yet. Uh, but we talked about what it's going to take to understand language. And I think that AI is getting there. AI is getting there uh, towards understanding language. But that doesn't mean they understand the world in a way a human works. So my thought is the only thing missing uh, from the AI will be the human experience. Uh, it is the human experience, and that's going to matter. I mean. If you're going to have an economy between humans, where humans uh, trade and contract with other humans, then knowledge of the human experience seems like a pretty valuable thing. Now, a lot of information about the human experience, bits and bytes, will be sucked up by these models, and your little bit of human experience might not be enough to move the needle. But you know what else is new? I mean, n n most of us have not had thoughts. That are, uh, uh, that are unique most of the time. But I feel like everybody has a slightly different experience where exactly you live, how you grew up, how you think about things, your emotions. Um, and I think those kind of unique aspects of uh, your humanity is what allows you to connect with someone else, whether it's you know, economically or through family or, or, or through friendship or, or something like that. And so I want to think more along those lines because what is important about the human experience that we need to focus on as people that will make us relevant in the AI age? I'd like to know your thoughts about that. 
Uh, send me an email at localmaxradio at gmail.com uh, to give me your thoughts or comment on, on Substack or Locals. And um, I hope to have a conversation about this with Aaron, too, because I want to give some specific examples. Um, so maybe we'll have a little brainstorm there. So hoping to have Aaron back on the show, both for predictions and to talk about some of the, some of the books that we're reading. Um, and, uh, yeah, I actually think Aaron might come on next week. So that will be fantastic. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. The Local Maximum is now hosted on Substack. To support the show, join our online community on localmaximum.substack.com. Find show notes and additional materials at our website, localmaxradio.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. Remember to subscribe on your podcast app. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Can you feel the power?